Talk Recorded live. The word Dalek means a far and distant thing in Serbo-Croat. Dalek is an anagram of Khalid, the race from which the Daleks evolved. When its top is removed, a Dalek emits an automatic distress call. What are you waiting for? Just touch these two strands together, and the Daleks are finished. Have I that right? To destroy the Daleks, you can't doubt it. But I do. You see, some things could be better with the Daleks. Many future worlds will become allies just because of their fear of the Daleks. It, it isn't like that. But the final responsibility is mine. I'm mine alone. We're talking about the Daleks. The most evil creatures ever invented. You must destroy them. You must complete your mission for the Time Lords. Do I have the right? This isn't real wood. It's some kind of artificial material like plastic. These are not real trees. And you're not the real Sarah. Get back, Doctor. I knew at once. You see, the real Sarah wasn't wearing a scarf. What have you done with Sarah? Where is the real Sarah? This isn't a mortuary. Quite the reverse. Reverse? I'd hardly call it a nursery. Cryogenic chamber. Old principle, but I've never seen it applied on this scale. Homo sapiens. What an inventive, invincible species. It's only a few million years since they crawled up out of the mud and learned to walk. Puny, defenseless bipeds. They survived flood, famine, and plague. They've survived cosmic wars and holocausts. Now, here they are, out among the stars, waiting to begin a new life, ready to outsit eternity. They're indomitable. Indomitable. All the doctors had their own particular eccentricities. Would you like a jelly baby? They're rather good. Go on, have one. There were the jelly babies, which I think ran through several doctors, um, as did the sonic screwdriver. Everything's going to be all right. Even the sonic screwdriver won't get me out of this one. Post Gallifrey presents Doctor Who Podshock Live. Doctor Who, Pachak Live, Episode 99, Doctor Number 4, Tom Baker, the longest-running Doctor in the series, Mr. Tom Baker as the fourth Doctor. This is Louis Trapani, host of Doctor Who, Pachak, and joining me is our guest host today, West Herbert from CIA, um, who um, um, is another fine podcast that's going to follow this one um, about an hour or so after we finish, wrap up. Isn't that right, West? That's correct. 
So it's good to have you back on board. We're missing in action is um, James Norton. He will be back. He hasn't <laughs> he hasn't escaped our clutches completely. He's still um, with us. He's just unfortunately he's not able to join us in today's recording. And um, also missing in action is, or I should say, on assignment as he likes to say, is Mr. Ken Deep. But let's hope that um, maybe he'll join us um, as we proceed with today's show. So, um, Tom Baker, this is a, um, the, the fourth doctor's error is a, as I indicated before, is, um, spans seven years. It's uh, from 1975 to 1981. Obviously he picks up, um, the role from John Pertwee, who played the third doctor. And we, uh, discussed the John Pertwee error in our last live show and where John Pertwee kind of really brought, um, a lot of his own elements to the role and really um, where, where every actor does, you know, and, uh, but, you know, going from William Hartnell to Patrick Troughton, then to John Pertwee, John Pertwee really um, had a sense of flair and charisma that he brought to the role. And Tom Baker takes that and, and, and takes a lot of the elements that, that John Pertwee put in as far as his uniqueness is, um, going against the grain of society and um and 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 brings it to a, his own level and with his um obviously with his look his uh, unique also it should go um it should not go without note that Tom Baker's doctor is probably the most iconic of all the doctors um especially here in the United States since um Tom Baker's uh doctor was really Played probably played the introductory role to Doctor Who for many longtime Doctor Who fans in the U.S. and um, perhaps elsewhere as well. Uh, they started syndicating him and also um, his like first four uh, seasons, if you will. During um, at least for me, it was during the late seventies here on. Um, on commercial syndicated channels uh, before they made it to PBS. And in fact, they were actually uh, narrated, I believe by Howard DeSilver, if I remember correctly, uh, which basically introduced, um, basically recapped the story at the beginning of, of each episode. And that was uh, when it went to PBS, that was then put, um, that was cut out and we were seeing the real BBC original versions. Tom Baker. Tom Baker really is a unique uh, individual who really brought that uniqueness uh, to the role with um, w with his style. And by that, I meaning where he could be um, perceived as being goofy or comical in one second and then on a, the very next second be ultimately serious and um, and, and, and and commanding. It, which really we hadn't seen before so much um, in the doctor. And here he really ha he had, he was kind of the master of that in, in a certain sense. I, I think he really brought the role to a, to a new level. And, and like I said, I think he was the introductory, uh, the introduction to many fans of Doctor Who here in the U S. Um, and I think a lot of people, when they think of Doctor Who, they think of Tom Baker uh, a, a perfect example is the Family Guy. They uh, last month they did a 
a tribute to Star Wars and there's a little um, nod to Doctor Who there. And of course it was Tom Baker. And um, and then various times over the years during the Simpsons run, it's I think the Simpsons have been um, on the air now for a good 17, 18 years or something like that. And uh, Tom Baker's appeared a few times in the Sim- uh, the Tom Baker Doctor, the fourth Doctor has appeared a few times in the Simpsons as well. So he's really an iconic um, actor. He served as, um, a, again, as a introduction to many fans. And when I say that, a lot of people's favorite, when they pick a favorite doctor, many times, not always, it's not a rule, but they'll often pick their, uh, the doctor that, that introduced them to the series, that made them kind of fall in love with the series. So um, I feel like I'm babbling about about <laughs> a bit too much. So I'm Wes. What was um, what's your take on uh, Tom Baker's portrayal of the Doctor? Well, I would have to say that um, he pretty much. I, I would say the first three Doctors are what I would call call the classic classic era. They they kind of had a similar type of feel to it, although Pertwee's a little different because it's in color, for one. Yeah. But Baker took it to a different level. Um, at first, if you watch Robot, you know, he hadn't quite got the handle on the character in the first couple of episodes, but then again, he just regenerated, so they're all kind of strange at that point. But after he took the role, he took it as his own. I mean, when he was out talking to fans and stuff, he was the doctor. And I've heard him, or I've read him say, that he took it seriously when children met him. He wanted them to know that he was the doctor and tried not to do crazy things in public, although he's known as a little bit of a party hound in his real life. Um, I know, like, today he's pretty eccentric, but um, he had a, a very high class of writers and producers during the first, I would say, at least five seasons of his run, and then it kind of started to... You can start to see the age of him a little bit when he gets to his last two seasons. Um, it's still good. I mean, he had top-notch stories in his last two seasons, but he he started to emphasize the comedy a little bit more, I think, toward the end. And then his last season, toward the second half, he started getting real serious about everything. I, I recently picked up the, um, the box set that has um, him transitioning over to mm-hmm. Peter Davison. And if you watch... Keeper Trocken and Legopolis. He's serious throughout the whole thing. There'll be yeah. a couple of one-liners, but it's real serious. Like, the character knew it was coming to an end. Well, what's and, unique uh, about Tom Baker's era, since it spans seven years, it also spans a few producers as well. And with each new producer, uh, um, the show has again sort of like with each new doctor refreshes itself and sometimes it takes a different direction and that last year with tom baker that you were indicating is when jonathan turner came on board and he, um i think the previous producer if i'm not mistaken was graham um williams and um yeah. so th- where that was emphasizing more of the humor and um jonathan turner took it back to the more serious and un- unlike any other doctor before Tom Baker, here you can see how the different producers, you know, changed how the doctor had changed accordingly with each producers and, and the style of the show since he spanned so many years. And if I'm not mistaken, um, I believe that Ken may be with us. Um, hold on one second. Let me just check to see if this is Ken. Ken, is that you? Yes. Yes, Mr. Anonymous. Oh, yeah, 
Yay. Ken Deep is with us, our illustrious uh, co-host and um, all-knowing Ken Deep. Yes. Yeah, Ken. Hello. I am doing my best James impersonation. My God. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Well, I've been um, I've been listening to the discussion so far, and and I agree with with what just about what everybody's saying. Uh, I mean, Tom definitely uh, benefits from being the longest doctor because he he has a number of script writers, script editors, producers. They changed, so he has a, he has a, um, a great deal of variety throughout his seven seasons. Uh, the John Nathan Turner era, his last season. Is as different from his first season as you can possibly get. You know, yeah. Besides the really long scarf, it's the character has evolved, and uh, Tom Baker really exemplifies the bohemian side of of, of the Doctor. This this uh, this nomad, this wanderer, who had a childlike curiosity, and 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 Lewis is right when he says it's the most iconic. People. If you just quickly said to somebody, you know, tell me about Doctor Who, they'll be like, oh, the guy with the curly hair and the scarf. Yeah. Well, you know, I know there's a ton of people that want to talk about the Tom Baker era, and uh, it's the one that's most familiar to our listeners and, and to Doctor Who fans around the world. So I really didn't have anything particularly prepared today, although I watched a ton of Tom Baker, which is a great excuse to go back and and um, and shuffle through my my video library, yeah. And watch again segments from different different eras. Everything from the key to time to John Nathan Turner to the Hinchcliffe. I mean, all over the place. Uh, and that's what the impression I got again was this: Wow, how different each season, each subsequent writer and script editor and, and producer. Everybody had a, a different take on it. Um, I, I, sorry. No, I, I, would, I would say that uh, if you look at the new series, a lot of the writers and producers grew up during the Tom Baker era. You see a lot of influence. Like even in Tennant's portrayal of the Doctor, he does a lot of that run-on Tennant stuff that, that Tom Baker did. You can see Baker channeled through Tennant a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Yes, and I and I think actually Christopher Eccleston, um, to me, in post-Tom Baker Doctors, Christopher Eccleston, I thought, was the closest to Tom Baker uh, in that in his alienness. Yeah. And, uh, uh, he was still this familiar character, but but you always knew that he just wasn't from around here. And I think Tom Baker was probably one of the best at that. Um, you know, he was he was this comfortable character. Everybody liked him. He was very likable. But deep down, you knew that he came from a different culture and different value set than we were used to. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah, and a lot of the, the yeah, a lot of the mythology. Well. The, I'm sorry, Wes, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, Lewis, I didn't mean to. No, that's okay. Um, a lot of the mythology that we've got today came out of the Tom Baker era as well. Um, like the the whole mythology of the Time Lords, pretty much, because up until that time they'd just been mentioned, and the Third Doctor interacted with them more than the other two, but you still didn't know the name of the planet, or you didn't know the history of the Time Lords, or even that they only had, you know, 12 regenerations until the Deadly Assassin, which was, yeah. what, about three seasons in, 
two seasons, mm-hmm. end of the second season, maybe. Yeah, it was during the Tom, Tom Baker's Baker. era that the Gallif- that Gallifrey and the whole look and feel of what Gallifrey is and the seal of Rassilon and which, by the way, was actually borrowed from an, an earlier Tom Baker story <laughs> with the Cybermen. Um, but the whole look of Gallifrey that remains today, that's consistent, that that went that that we saw well after Tom Baker during um, the Paul McGann movie, and then just recently with the um, the this, the last two episodes, uh, the Sound of Drums and um, um, the Last of the Time Lords, where we see a little um, once again a flashback to Gallifrey and whatever that that imagery all comes from what was established during the Tom Baker era. Specifically the Philip Hinchcliffe era, which I think a lot of Doctor Who fans would agree is probably the like high watermark or yeah. golden age of Doctor Who. Cause that, that guy knew how to put on a good dramatic show and not make it so heavy that you couldn't get into it. Um, well, he, he definitely brought it to, um, into the level of adult television. Uh, although Pertwee is credited as bringing more of an adult feel to the show, it really is in Hinchcliffe's era that the show is is, is outright no longer a children's show. It's it's an adult show. Talons of Wing, Chiang, and, and stories like that, which were are clearly adult-oriented. Uh, the themes, the concepts, the way they're handled, it's darker. It's uh, uh, There's no... Uh, there, there's a uh, there's less bug-eyed monsters, uh, and if there are monsters, um, they're they're not really the, the the driving force in the show. There's something yeah. else going on. Well, they did a lot of the human being as the monster during that. That sometimes non, you know, extraterrestrial beings are scarier than monsters from outer space. Yeah, like well, the, uh, like yes, the seeds of doom, and, and... and that's something. Uh, you know, as a kid, you, you love a good monster. But as an adult, what, what pulls adults into things is is human motivations. And, um, you know, in, in the world that we know, someone, let's say, like, like an Adolf Hitler, which is, a, you know, a real person, a person that actually existed that did terrible things, is far more frightening because we, we know that that person was real. Someone like that is more frightening than a, a, a thing in a mask. That's doing something. And, and you, know, you go back to his first story, Robot, which uh, the robot itself was controlled by an organization that was a bit neo-Nazi in its um, nature. Yes. And, and, and that's the, the, the power structure behind the robot was the frightening part. The monster itself was, you know, a giant silver robot. Yeah. And, and just like I mentioned before, the, 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 the Seeds of Doom... You had, it, I mean, yeah, it was that the, the the plant, you know, taking over the oh, humans no. and all that. But it was really, um, what was the character's name? The the that um, millionaire or whatever. I can't think of hey, his name. Harrison Chase. Yes, thank you. This was my radio name in Utah, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, during that. Uh, the Hitchcliffe era is uh, we had a lot of emphasis, as you said, Ken, on horror, and um, there were a lot of send ups of you know to Frankenstein, and um, it's it, it was very much a moody feel uh, that 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 penetrated the whole series. That uh, with the lighting, uh, the sound, the music, everything really uh, painted this the series in a very um, 
um, with almost um, I, I, well, I don't want to say like a, a film noir, but but hedging there, you know, and and it's just um, it, it's it's a nice tapestry. It's it's a nice texture. Uh, in, uh, in the show's history, watching those episodes and um, and again, Tom Baker's run is unique because if you watch Tom Baker's running from beginning to end, you get a um, lots of flavors of Doctor Who throughout his whole run as the Doctor, which is interesting. Yeah, and and that that era that we're talking about, um, Doctor Who is at its best when the lights are down low and, uh, you know, some, some of the disasters that we've seen in the, do- in the history of the show has been when it's big, giant, you know, shopping mall spotlight on the painted green monster. And then everybody goes, whoa, that's terrible. <laughs> uh, and Doctor Who has succeeded best when it's a, something in the shadows. Yeah. And the viewer's imagination runs wild. And that was exemplified in the early Tom Baker era. But as Lewis is also saying, only a few seasons later, and if you watch the show through the run, there's almost a slapstick comedy side to the show. Yeah. For better or for worse, some people mm-hmm. enjoy that. I'm sure younger viewers enjoy it. I'm sure even older viewers enjoy it. But there's a clear change from this darker vision to um, this idea where the doctor almost defeats the bad, you know, the, the, the bad guy or the monster with, with, um, with his humor or with his, with a, with a wick as opposed to, uh, you know, my God, we've got to defeat them. That kind of thing. Yeah. We had, uh, you know, Douglas Adams working on the show during that time. And, and we had some really outstanding, even, even in that episode, even in that era, uh, that were, that, segmented error that error within the tom baker's error that we're speaking of right now uh where some fans have criticized being maybe going too slapstick too comical but there's still some outstanding stories that came out of there and um you know like city of death is one and um outstanding stories and outstanding characters which really helped drive the show uh characters like romana yes um uh, you know, with both Mary Tam and, and Lala Ward, who in, in itself could be a podcast just discussing the contrast between them, uh, both bringing something uh, positive to the show. But Lewis is right. And, and at that point, there's um, there's almost a, uh, a return to the family viewing style of Doctor Who, um, uh, almost a conscious decision to say, we're going to, you know, bring the young kids back into the fold now. Um, yeah. That, yeah. It, I mean, the series got, got a lot of flack from, you know, <laughs> from Barry Whitehouse, as always, during that the, the Peter Hitchcliffe era. And I think maybe uh, that was a result of that getting a little bit more, you know, um, kid-friendly, in a sense. And, and perhaps even from, from the strength of Tom Baker, I'm, I'm in many readings about with interviews with Tom Baker and, and in, in a critical analysis uh, of his era, is that um, as he became more secure in the role of playing the Doctor, as he became more iconic uh, during that time, mm-hmm. uh, he had yes. a little more influence and a little more power, and he had very distinct visions as to 
what the doctor could and couldn't do, and, and he was very aware of his audience, as uh, as Wes mentioned a little earlier. He was always aware that the kids who ran up to him, who saw him on the street, thought of him as Doctor Who, not as Tom Baker. And he mm-hmm. wanted he he wanted um, his audience to see him in a certain way, and not in a and not in a prima donna kind of way, like you know, how is my hair kind of thing, but. Uh, do they see him as the hero? Do they see him as, as, as a, uh, a character that represents certain values um, in the good versus evil struggle and things like that? And, uh, and he took that very seriously and, and still does, I believe, to this day. I, I think you know, in, in his appearances and talks and things, you know, he, he still is very aware that you know, he has a fan base that, that looks to him and idolizes him. And... Mm-hmm. Well, I know that um, I've seen a couple of interviews, I think, on some of the DVDs of his stories that have come out where he basically, the people around him and him in the interview are saying that he was a lot like that because they'd write a story and they'd start reading through it and he would say, no, the doctor doesn't do that. And they would argue with him. And then during the production, he would just change the line so that it met the criteria he had for what the doctor was. And that's what made him so difficult to work at. He was such a perfectionist in it. And that um, I think because of that, though, the stories ended up being a little better because he had a better idea of how the doctor would act than the the writers would sometimes. Yeah, well, I think being that he's been was in the role for so long, he really, you know, kind of knew the character inside and out in a certain respect, and um, more so than maybe some of the guest writers and. Um, I think there was always a struggle or a tug of war going on with you know with some of the writers and Tom Baker as far as what direction the character to take and um, you know I, I think what I and and perhaps we're all better for it I don't know um, the, what we see on the screen is the end result and um, you know I, I think you know it was pulled off pretty well for the most part. I I uh, I think that there's an argument that could be made both ways. One that Bussy was very, uh, he had a very strong opinion as to what the doctor could and couldn't do. Um, he would make sure that it stayed focused as to what he, you know, he believed was the way the doctor would act from story to story. But I think that also, um, that also, it could be argued that that is an actor overextending what he's supposed mm-hmm. to be doing and, and that sure. you know, the writers are, and producers and directors are creating something. Um, and I know that, that there was some disagreement between he and John Nathan Turner as J&T came in. He wanted to bring it back to something more serious. Um, and, and Tom Baker was, was limited, uh, especially for the last couple of years prior to John Nathan Turner being the producer. He was allowed to get away with the slapstick and alter the story and do whatever he wanted. And, and, and by that point, he was five and six, years into the part it was very secure he was he was the star of the show it was his show um and to jnt's credit he held firm and said look i have a vision for the way the show is going and some could say that's what pushed tom baker out of the role you know what made him say okay well you know my time is up yeah um and you know in hindsight now you're looking back some of that some of tom baker's last season is brilliantly written and it has great concepts and the show goes and is launched in a, in a brand new direction and keeps the show going. Yeah, that I, show easily. And we've said this 
And as we're analyzing different errors, you know, we credited Patrick Troutman for keeping the show going past William Hartnell. Well, the same thing happens now. Uh, Tom Baker was so iconic that his departure could have collapsed that show. The, the whole show could have fallen apart, and it didn't. Uh, yeah. And, you know, maybe it is a bit of a, 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 of a burst of the bubble to someone as, um, as iconic as Tom Baker to say, look, the show continued without you. And I think part of that, um, the, the reason that he didn't appear in the five doctors or, or, you know, didn't use the footage. Obviously we used footage that, that was from Shada, but he didn't come back to reprise his role for the, for the five doctors was that, well, okay, the show continued without me. You don't really need me kind of thing. And he's later said that you know, he regrets not being involved in that and how important doctor who was in his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I can understand when you leave a show that you've been on that long to go back the next year and reprise the part, kind of like to some actors, you know, we make fun of them for not wanting to be pigeonholed in a in a in a part. But I mean, you look at somebody like say, not to mix genres here, but William Shatner. I mean, he's going to be Kirk the rest of his life, no matter what he plays. Except for show he's on now, he seems to be playing a different character. But everything before that, it's always. I mean, T.J. Hooker was Captain Kirk that rode around on the hood of a police car. You know. <laughs> Yes, yeah. uh, but also in in this hindsight, Tom Baker is Doctor Who. Here he is, right. <laughs> twenty twenty some odd years. How long now? We, we, we do a quarter of a century later. Tom Baker is still Doctor Who. It, it's sort he of like doesn't sh- have curly hair. It's white. He's a lot yeah. older now, but he's still Doctor Who. It, it's sort of like Sean Connery. You know, will always be James Bond. Right. I, I just read an article with Nicholas Bridge Briggs who's the voice of the Daleks in the new series, plus the producer of Big Finish. And they have been trying to get Tom Baker to do some Big Finish audios, and he, I think he feels like he's getting close to success. If that happens, you know, that audio range is going to take off even bigger than it already has. Mm-hmm. Because he's an icon. I mean, people want to – they want Tom Baker to do some doctor stuff. Part of the part of the struggle that Big Finish is probably having, in particular with Big Finish as opposed to – the television series or, or anything else, is that Tom Baker in Britain is the voice of God, the way James Earl Jones is in the United States. Uh, at least the voice of Little Britain. Jones, come on. <laughs> you know you know what I mean? Like, he's like the voice. Well, Tom Baker is that iconic voice in the UK. He was and, also the voice of uh, British Telecom as well. <laughs> and, and, and that being said, Big Finish exists as the voice medium. I mean, that's what it is. It's sound. It, there's no, it's not a television series and it's not a series of books, or whatever. It's the voice. So th- their uphill battle is the fact that this man is the voice. Right. Uh, it's such a, such a struggle. Uh, I'm sure to, Hey, can you come in and voice that? Plus the battle of the most popular doctor and, and et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, but I agree. And I, and I, and I, I would hope that Tom Baker takes his cue from John Pertwee, which was, um, uh, although there are issues with the Pertwee audios uh, that he made for the BBC with uh, Ghost of End Space and uh, Paradise of Death, yeah, they're not perfect, but it is great to have them. And after John Pertwee passed, uh, we as fans have the ability to go back and hear those and hear him once again, he's a doctor. Well, 
I hope Tom Baker comes back and does some big finish audios and reprises the role of the doctor because years from now, we're going to be able to look back and say, we had even more Tom Baker right. uh, as the doctor. Yeah. It, and, you know, the radio, the audio medium also gives him a way to flesh his character out like he never was able to on the series. And, and that would be an interesting arc to see. You look at Peter Davison and Colin Baker in the Big Finish audios to see that there are two guys who, two men who, who were able to, to do some things that they weren't able to do when they were on the show. And, and you know, there's, there's a, uh, a, a criticisms of, or positive criticisms of, of as an example, the Colin Baker audios is, you know, wow, look at, look, look at what Colin's ba- Colin Baker's doctor is all about now. And so I agree. I mean, Tom Baker ran for a long time, and he did a lot of different things, as we've just been talking about, in his era on television. But I'm curious to see what the Tom Baker, who hasn't played the role in 25 years, would want to do now. Right. Was there something that he said, oh, you know, I really wanted to do this, you know, 10 years later? Um, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what what he would bring. So, and, and I'm sure there are millions of people who want to know what he would bring. It would certainly be interesting. I mean, um, we know that Tom Baker kind of held on to the role. Uh, and, and part of the reason why he was the doctor for so long was because um, if you remember in the late seventies and early eighties, it's post star Wars. And there was a lot of talk about a doctor who movie. And he always figured, you know, it would be the current doctor that would be appearing in the movie. And, it would be a great uh, jumping board into, you know, um, even though he's done film, he wasn't um, Sinbad movies. He was, uh, he's done films before, but uh, this would be a great opportunity for him to do a Doctor Who movie, but that never came to be. And, um, and as you said, Ken, John Nathan Turner came um, on board as producer and, and really did a lot of changes in the series. Tom Big had never wore makeup before. And, you know, with John Nathan Turner, he insisted that he wear, you know, would, would wear makeup. And you can see they did his hair and obviously changed his whole costume and all that. So it was a real different um, direction that John Nathan Turner was taking this show. And um, and that's fine. Like I said, with each new producer, the show is um, reborn in a sense. And, and that's what makes the series, you know, go on and on. And normally you wouldn't have an actor perhaps staying in the role as long as that. And you would have a new doc, a new actor playing the doctor sooner you know you know maybe tom baker well john pertwee was there for five years and then um maybe tom baker might have um stayed only five years if but since there was talk of a film and all that he kind of hang on he hung on to the role for a bit longer but it's interesting as you said if he was to come back now and to inject some of what he feels the character should be like and 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 do audios it would be really interesting to hear Yes, and, and he has, you know, it's interesting, in hindsight being what it is, looking at, we could probably do a whole podcast on Doctor Who movies and the potential of Doctor Who movies. Uh, it's only made it to the big screen twice. Uh, on both occasions, it was not the current Doctor. So all these, like, rules that go on with these Doctor Who movies are always interesting to me. Um, you know, well, it'll be, it should be the current Doctor. Uh, it never is. Well, I mean, the first thing is that it never materializes. Uh, and secondly, it's never the current doctor. And third, it just always seems to be crap. So I don't know. Right. I, I'm glad they don't make Doctor Who movies. I, I, I like it being on television. No, and I like it in Big Finish, and I like it in books. Once again, right? there's, don't like 
there's talk I, I, of another movie, um, as there is always. We can't escape it. There's always talk of of, of a Doctor Who movie coming to the theaters, well, and just it, recently, you know, was, Hollywood and, and movie making is, is all about making lots and lots of money. And the minute a show is successful, no matter what it is, uh, there's how can we cash in on this even more? The, the and, latest rumor is Billy Piper and is being uh, joined again with uh, David Tennant for a big screen Doctor Who movie. That's uh, the rumors that is circulating currently. But why? What do we need to? Why do we have to go to the movie theater to see that? I mean, can't we just watch that on TV? Yeah, well, well, the they're, TV taking that, hour. they're taking that year off. That sort of um, well, they're gonna uh, go from. I think they're gonna do like four specials that year. Was it two thousand and nine? And then it's gonna I come back. I hear a rumor that the Doctor Who movie with David Tennant and Billy Piper is gonna be in color. No. That's wow. Yeah. If, and if they could do it in sense around, that would really rock. It would. It would. That, that's the reason, like, you know, when you do, do the things that you can't do on television, like use computer special effects, film on 3D. The- yeah, you know. 3D would be awesome. <laughs> 3D Doctor Who. See, now, now it, in order to, to get it to do something we haven't done on television, we turn it into a, a goof, into into something that you know, then becomes the butt of jokes. Like, hey, did you see the 3D Doctor Who movie? It's like, you know, let's forget about movies. And let's also get back onto Tom Baker. Um, Just having met the man on several occasions, uh, we always talk about the dynamics of the actors who make up, who portray the Doctor. Um, And we gushed about John Pertwee um, and and all his talents and and how... um, People just gravitated towards him. The exact same thing could be said of Tom Baker. Well, you know, minus the song and the guitar and the funny jokes. But he was so eccentric and so alive. And people just gravitate towards him because he he always welcomed um, his audience. He would pull them towards him and, and he would have something to say and regale them with stories. And, and as Wes also said earlier... Boy, does that man love to party. <laughs> if you said, you know, hey, let's, uh, you know, sit down and chat, he would, he would just, the stories would just flow. And in some ways, it's a little disappointing that, he, that there are so many stories that are, are sort of being forgotten now as he's, as he's gotten a little bit older. Um, as you hear on some of the DVD commentaries, is that, you know, sometimes he'll struggle to remember certain things essential that they're chronicled now while he can still remember them uh, yeah, I, I i agree with everything that just what that ken just said and you know he he is really a uh, a charismatic person as an individual tom baker and seeing him in person that very much comes across and he's very commanding and and takes the stage very well and um the the only criticism i would have with him is unlike Patrick Troughton, John Pertwee, Colin Baker, that could be said the same things of, they all, when they, they had no hesitation appearing on stage together and, and interacting with each other, where I always felt Tom Baker always wanted the stage to himself and never really wanted to share the limelight with the other doctors. And, and I think, and, and this is just my perception that in, in I, I perceive that perhaps in his head he is the only doctor and and and, and that's just the way it is. It, it it would have been nice to have seen Tom Baker 
uh, back in the heyday when when John Pertwee and T Patrick Chapman were still alive and doing conventions together, having John, Tom Baker there as well and being in that mix as well, you know, with the other um, actors, I I, I, I miss not having the other that opportunity. The, the the team of actors that play the Doctor that they they um, they made the best out of the fact that they were all part of a, a very exclusive club of actors who played Doctor Who um, and and Lewis is right that he, you know it seemed that that Tom Baker always it was the Tom Baker show and that was pretty much it uh, although there are I'm I'm sure there are people out there that say well you know we'll disagree and I know he you know. He did do a, um, a convention tour with Colin Baker, and you know he appeared on stage. That's true, but you just didn't see the kind but of even with the the Tom Rodman, in 1986, I believe it was with the Tom Baker and Colin Baker tour, sort of speak, so to speak. Um, they didn't really appear together on stage. They sort of had their own talk sessions, and then they did their autographs together. I don't really remember them interacting with each other that much. I have to say that that tour is a bit of a haze too, uh, but I, I agree. I, I, from what I remember as well, they were two separate talks and yeah. uh, very separate sessions. Um, I also wanted to point out if anybody gets a chance to read Tom Baker's autobiography or listen to it because he he narrates it. It's very tough to find, but his book on tape is is fascinating because it's Tom Baker voicing it. Um, who on earth is Tom Baker? Uh, you know the, his. His life story, like uh, as it seems, all the 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 stories, uh, the development of of how a person becomes this eccentric who is allowed to play Doctor Who, they all have such wonderful histories. You know, Tom Baker in his autobiography talks about being a young boy during World War Two and some of the things that drives him, and, and it's fascinating. Mm. It's interesting the choice, you know, back in 1975, you know, of making Tom Baker the Doctor because um, he, up until that point, he his um, credentials, his what he had done prior to that didn't really lend itself to the role. I mean, he did obviously, you know, history shows what a you know incredible choice Tom Baker was, and we're very grateful for that, and he did an incredible job with it, but. Um, seeing his roles be prior to um, his role as Tom Baker, you would never really think of him as someone as the Doctor that could play the Doctor, and it's just, it, it, I well, guess it's, um, you know, it, now in hindsight, it's it's advantageous that they went with him. And and at that time, the mid seventies, to have a guy as young as Tom Baker play the Doctor, <laughs> you know, it's now be seeing David Tennant and then back in in, in the eighties seeing Peter Davison. Having a younger actor play the role has sort of become accepted now. But mm -hmm. Tom Baker, when he became the Doctor, was the youngest actor to play the Doctor. And, and now that doesn't seem like such a big deal. But I'm sure at the time with, you know... Um, yeah, which... And then... John Pertwee and Patrick Troutman and, and, and William Hartnell all being, you know... How can we put... Let's, let's say mature actors... Um, to have someone who is young, like Tom Baker. Yeah, yeah, and then that that went even further. You know, following Tom Baker with Peter Davison, and I remember yeah. at the time in the early '80s that that was the biggest joke. You know, that the Doctor keeps on getting younger with each regeneration. Well, you know, this will be something that we'll discuss 
in a few weeks when we do the Peter Davison um, uh, podcast. Yeah. But I think it was a brilliant move to uh, cast against uh, expectations. You know, what Tom Baker was about. They, in picking Peter Davison, Peter Davison was as opposite Tom Baker as you could possibly get. Uh, and I think that was a very difficult choice for, for JNT, and I applaud him for it. Uh, I, I think that's the way you had to go in order to, keep, to make the show work and to keep it original and fresh. Um, I think it would have been disastrous to try and cast somebody who was just like Tom Baker or tried to be Tom Baker. It would be like doing a Nixon impersonation. You know, everybody will get up and put their fingers in the air and do the I'm not a crook bit, but it never is Richard Nixon. Well, you know, you want to get somebody who has curly hair and, you know, tries to be eccentric. It would it would have collapsed under its own weight. Yeah, you also got you also got to realize that um, Hartnell, Troughton, and Pertwee were all already established actors that people knew, and and Baker wasn't. And then when Peter Davidson came around, he was already kind of known. Yeah, so from Baker all was a relative, un- mm-hmm. completely relatively unknown actor. I think he had done the the Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and that's what kind of brought him some notice. Yeah, and um, and, and and if you notice that role is completely you know, different than anything that you could perceive as doctorish, you know. Right. <laughs> and what was it, Rasputin the Mad Monk, or is that a different movie? Yeah, it was Rasputin and Nicholas and, and Alexandria. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And that's another, he's kind of masterish in that one. And and he was in the, uh, the um, Canterbury, Canterbury Tales. Mm-hmm. Which was really different than playing right. Doctor. <laughs> well, did, did anybody see that really awful Dungeons and Dragons movie that he was in a couple of years ago? Um, oh, I missed um, that. He's in the the big screen Dungeons and Dragons movie as some kind of um, wizard. It's, really, it's pretty interesting hmm. to see him. In. Well, I re- want to remind all our listeners that you can chime in into our conversation and give us your thoughts on Tom Baker. Our phone number is seven two four. Four 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 seven four four four. Our TalkCast ID number is two three three five eight. You don't have to be a member of um, TalkShoe to call and, and chime in, uh, though if you do, you can also use our online chat that goes on during the live show as well and participate that way in addition to calling in. So uh, give us uh, give us your thoughts on the Tom Baker error. We have... Um, we have one person, a regular caller, waiting in the wings to talk, and that's uh, Dave Cooper in Manchester in the UK. And we're going to go to Dave. Hey, Dave. Hi, Lewis. Hi, everyone. Welcome hey, back. Dave. Good to have uh, you back hey, on, Dave. on the show. Uh, hi, Wes. It's great to have you back as well, Wes. We've, we've missed you. And, and it's just great before to start be back. Talking, good luck. Uh, just before I talk... Um, about Tom, uh, Merlin posted in the text that uh, just for us to uh, remember uh, Tin Dog, who does the Tin Dog podcast, that's Michael, I believe. We're hoping he's having a great time. He's had his wedding and he's away on his honeymoon, and that's why he's not with us today. Yes. So, best wishes from all of us on the uh, pod shop. Yeah, all the best to and, Tin Dog, aka Michael. That's a, right. a very acceptable reason for missing the podcast, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently, he managed to get his Tindob podcast uh, uploaded on the same uh, day as the wedding. So, 
uh, is looking after his fans as well. Um, I'm going to jump around a little bit as per usual because um, lots of lovely comments by people and uh, although I've got one or two things I wanted to say, I feel as though I would rather respond to what's being said. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, he was a younger doctor and he brought lots and lots of energy uh, to the part. And in actual fact, like um, West said, um, it was almost an unstable energy as uh, as we've seen with the, with the latest incarnation of the Master. Um, he really... Uh, I think I would have been more worried if that had been the first regeneration. But by now, uh, those of us who have been fans for some time had learnt that the you know the rocky road to um, to get, getting a, a new doctor bedded in uh, meant that we we had to uh, you know roll with the punches a little bit on the beginning. And one point I've noted down is that he was very very lucky in that he had one of the strongest companions ever uh, to be there at the beginning for him, and that of course was Sarah Jane Smith, uh, mm-hmm. who was was there through from the uh, Planet of the Spiders and through lots of adventures with the third Doctor. Just on that note, Dave, it's interesting, in in hindsight, when you think of Sarah Jane Smith, at least for me, and and I think for many people, always associate her with Tom Baker as being... That being, you know, he she was Tom. She was the fourth Doctor's companion. Even though she started with the third Doctor, she seemed to really um, become her own and and really establish her the character of Sarah Jane Smith while with the fourth Doctor more so than with the third. And um, it's it's just interesting because um, that really wasn't the case. I I think with Billy Piper, I always thought she did very well with Christopher Eccleston more so than with David Tennant and always think of her more as uh, Christopher Eccleston's, you know, companion more so than David Tennant's. Right. Uh, well, of course, the the other thing is that, uh, and one of the things I'll talk about in a minute, if I may, is that he had a, a good succession of other companions that, uh, that, 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 um, that followed on. But um, like Ken said as well, one of the other points I would like to pick up is the, um, the, the the fourth Doctor was quite a lot like the ninth Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, and I think that was in the in the darker moments, the serious moments, um, like the 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 item you played right at the beginning of exactly. the Podshot about... Lewis, where about where he's, has the he the right to destroy the Daleks? Exactly. Because um, I, I can uh, see Christopher Eccleston's Doctor saying that too. Exactly. You could see him having that mental struggle in that, you know, you earthlings think, you know, the universe is just laid on for you. But other, other creatures, other, other races, uh, they have their place in the universe. And we don't always know whether uh, what would be good for us would necessarily be the best for the universe. But of course, we're going to get onto, well, I'm going to get onto a hobby horse there because we're not meeting enough alien races in the new uh, series of Doctor Who. Again, that was one of the great strengths of the period of the fourth Doctor, because I think he met about everybody. He met the Suntarans, he met uh, Davros, he met uh, uh, Sutek in uh, Pyramids of Mars, which was an absolutely uh, one of my favourite stories. Um, he met um, uh, from the hand of well, we said Sarah Jane Smith, her last story. The Hand of Fear, and uh, come on, everyone, Eldred must live. Yes. 
<laughs> well, so, D- um, Dave, that's an important uh, a point that you're making with Tom Baker's uh, w- with the Fourth Doctor's error and with Tom Baker taking the role, he took the series back into space. You know, um, obviously it was the the producers and of of the show as well. You know, but we really once again because after five years being more for the most part during John Pertwee's era being trapped on Earth. Now we're, we're uh, he's back in the TARDIS. He left unit behind, though we still had a couple unit stories. But uh, we're out. We're we're exploring both time and space again, which I think really you know the series is what the series is about. Right, and of course the, the genesis of the Daleks, uh, finding about how they started, and their their folklore is such a an integral part of Doctor Who that um, not to have had that adventure. It would have left a big void. I'm just going to have a sip of water, folks. <laughs> a cup of water for Mr. Say, for Mr. Cooper, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting excited again. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Um, and one of the um, before I go on to the the companions I like, when we talked about favourite companions a while back in one of the earlier podcasts, and people listening to this, if it's your first podcast, please go back and listen to some of the others. They're all there on the talk show feeds. They're all there on iTunes, and uh, there's lots of great uh, things to catch up on. But some people may remember I said that I didn't really want K9 as one of my companions. Mm-hmm. But what I liked about um, the fourth Doctor, uh, and I think he made it for the kids, he was he he brought K9 to life. It wasn't the fact that it could waggle its tail, it could waggle its ears, it could sometimes get along different floors. It was the way that Tom got down on the floor with him mm, and, and interacted. I, I'm not saying humoured him, but he he made Canine's personality almost as much with his interaction sure. with the dog, and um, he brought him almost well, I suppose you could say to a full companion, mm-hmm. and. This is where I'd like to talk about companions because I don't think anybody else has yet mentioned that. Um, as well as having um, Sarah Jane Smith and the lovely Leela, and of course uh, Romana's one and two, and Nissan, and even Tegan uh, right at the end, Tegan Jivanka, he also had two uh, male uh, companions. Harry Sullivan, who I, I really liked Harry Sullivan, mm. and uh, Adric which I suppose he redeemed himself in the way that he went out. But, um, <laughs> it's crowning oh, sorry, it's a, it's a bit of a backhanded compliment, I know. And um, <laughs> for those who don't know, um, well, I wouldn't give it away now, but the point is that, um, as, as Ken has said, uh, and one or two others in the past, we need a male companion now more than ever, I think, in the TARDIS. Um, the one-on-one has worked well for three seasons, but I really do feel it's time to have um, a male companion in there, uh, just mixing it up a little bit. Oh, I agree um, completely. I've got other yeah, things to say, but... What? Don't forget Captain Wait, Jack, now. <laughs> I mean, I know Captain Jack's kind of half-male, but he's still male. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I, I put him almost in a separate category. Go on. Well, I mean, okay. he worked well at the end of the Christopher Eccleston series um, in those few episodes, but then he was gone, and you don't, you know, I, I miss the multi-companion TARDIS, you know, and I, I like to have companions interact with each other instead of always, you know, having to interact with the Doctor 
solely, you know, and it'd be nice to have some interplay there with different companions. And some of the best stuff uh, in the new series is the times when there were, um, when Captain Jack joined the Doctor and his companion, you know, over the, the course of the, these three seasons. Uh, I, that multi, multiple companion dynamic, as Lewis is saying, um, drives the story in a different direction. And, and it's, it, it is refreshing when that happens because it's not the usual, well, where are we, Doctor? What's that, Doctor? Why are we doing this, Doctor? You know, it's a little less of that. Yeah, Captain Jack seemed to know a lot of the races that the Doctor and them were, were encountering which made it kind of refreshing that he wasn't just a dumb companion. Not to say they were dumb, but... Well, he didn't well of course, he had the Torchwood archives, didn't he, where he's um, been able to, to gen up on some of these people since virtually the uh, First World War. I think it was, was it 1912, 1914 that he arrived back on Earth and integrated himself into Torchwood as soon as he could. Because uh, he says one of the reveals in the, the later series, and I hope this is not spoiling anything for anybody else. Spoiler alert, um, spoiler. <laughs> he said that he tried to, well, not not a big spoiler, but the fact that um, the Doctor, when he first finds out that he's in Torchwood, thinks, you know, how could you do that? Torchwood are out to get me. But he said that he went in there to, to turn Torchwood, to, to bring it... Um, round to, to seeing that the Doctor was actually the, the greatest saviour of Earth and, um, and to uh, belie all those uh, earlier thoughts that had been planted by uh, Queen Victoria, I suppose you could say. But if we can just talk about some of the stories, because to my count there are 42 stories, uh, not including Sharda. And uh, like we had, uh, and I think somebody's pointed out on the text chat that's going on, that um, we had one season that was just one l linked arcing story of Keys to Time. Well, that was that was a really new thing to do. I mean, I know they've done it in Buffy, uh, in, uh, but that was in the 90s. I mean, this was, um, you know, 10, 15 years earlier than that, having a whole story arc. And they had some great ideas as well with... Um, I can't remember the, the, what was the the one with the pirate in it. The um, oh, the, yeah, the the actual science of that where it goes round and it um, materializes around planets and extracts all their minerals and things. I mean, that's really good, strong science fiction to my mind. I mean, um, it's not just the Doctor Who being a soap in space. Uh, there was lots of real science uh, coming into some of his episodes. And, and, and I think Tom Baker did with... an excellent job in that story oh. as well. I, I always love that uh, his little monologue that he goes on, uh, you know, with uh, appreciate it, appreciate it. And he, and he would, uh, you know, you saw the anger of the doctor and how, you know, um, he, he, you know, where Tom Baker can be, you know, goofy in one minute and then really serious and, 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 and commanding in the next. And, and he does it so well. Well, he also had a lot of social. He also had a lot of social commentary in there because I, I was watching the Terror of the Zygons recently. He had the whole speech on how the the world is stupid to rely on mineral oil, that we should look for other alternative energies. I mean, that was like nineteen seventy five, maybe. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, that's a discussion that's like ahead of its time. Yeah, oh, and then in the Planet of Evil, um, uh, the, he goes up against antimatter. 
I think it was the the monster was made of antimatter or something like that. And um, in robots, some of the the techniques that they used in actually making the program, uh, what was called green screen separation, I think. Uh, so there were lots and lots of, like we said with the, the third Doctor, that the innovation was moving to colour and doing a lot of the episodes on film and, and using more and more gadgets. Well, like you said, Lewis, uh, we had the release off Earth, we had the uh, many more alien races, we had uh, big story arcs, we had uh, moral dilemmas, we had uh, creatures, uh, vegetable creatures, we had um, all the different um, robots and uh, uh, Genesis of the Daleks. So really... Um, and I suppose this is, of course, the length of time he was the Doctor, it was an absolutely golden age of Doctor Who. And even though we've got other Doctors to talk about, and I love them just as much, you've got to say that um, the fourth Doctor really um, straddles a, a great part of the history of Doctor Who. And uh, although there were perhaps one or two poorer stories towards the end, there were still good ones coming along. Um, I mean, I liked uh, the horror of Frank, Fang Rock, which was towards the end. And, of course, the the, the brilliance of um, Logopolis, where uh, they're using mathematical computation to um, uh, keep uh, the universe going. And that, a little bit, was mirrored by the Tenth Doctor story in the Shakespeare Code, where instead of... Uh, computation of numbers, it was um, the power of language that was used, I believe. So uh, uh, let somebody else chime in, I think, after that. All right, well, we have <coughs> Dave, once again, as always, we thank you for your input, and it's it's always an asset having you on, on, on our show. Enjoy it. I enjoy it. All right, well, thanks again, Dave. Because he was in a seven-year run, there's also quite a few stinker stories that should remain nameless. You know, Horns of Nymon comes to view, comes to mind immediately. But <laughs> Creature from the Pit. Yeah. yeah in in in, uh, in my preparing for today's podcast, I was I was thinking something along. I watched the Tom Baker Years video where Tom reviews all seven seasons of, of the show and and watches back, and I figured that would be a nice way of flavoring a little of everything. And I, I couldn't help but think the exact same thing, which was for every incredible story, you had a couple clinkers thrown in. And, and that really just comes down to sheer number crunching. You know, there's no way, um, it, you know, that you, for every good story, you're going to get one that, that might be a dud or might be average. Um, so when you look at a, a poll of, great Doctor Who stories, you'll find that Tom Baker has a whole bunch in the top ten, but then he has a whole bunch that are towards the bottom of the list. And that's, and again, strictly numbers. There's no way um, to avoid that when you've done as many stories. But if you think about the consistency, uh, despite the fact that he had changing writers, changing producers, changing companions, the fact that, that it wasn't, well, well, he only had one good season. No, every – I mean, what is arguably his worst season produced City of Death. Right. One of, the, one of the most beloved Doctor Who stories ever made. Uh, and that was in a season that was not considered critically to be very good. 
produced one of the one of the all-time greats. So, uh, you know, this, these are again tributes to to the Tom Baker era and, and the fact that um, going back to something we spoke about earlier about his own personal visions for the character and and the show and and, and he being a driving force, um, you know, to keep these certain things consistent, the morality and the, and the way the doctor handled certain things. I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'll, I'll stop it right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Wes, was uh, Tom Baker's your first introduction to Doctor Who? Actually, it kind of went like this. The PBS station in Atlanta, when they first got Doctor Who, they had one of those telethon things, which, you know, I kind of look back on telethons with a, a little bit of nostalgia because even though it was an annoying things, like right at the, the moment when something important was going to happen, they're like, if you donate 50 bucks, you get this <laughs> mug that changes color when it gets hot. You know, and That's right. The thermal Doctor Who logo, the diamond logo mug. Yeah. yeah. How many people bought the thermal Doctor Who logo <laughs> mug? It went around the world, I know. But then they started getting smart and getting Doctor Who actors to go into the PBS thing. And, you know, you could get a call back from Sylvester McCoy if you donated 100 bucks, you know. And that was kind of neat. I never did that. But well, Ken, Ken and I have the unique – well, not so unique. A lot of uh, – Fan organizations were doing it at the time of um, of doing the pledge drives ourselves. The Gallifreyan Embassy would, uh, you know, do these pledge drives, and we would have the opportunity to um, to meet some of the guests that they would have during the pledge drives. Like you said, sometimes there would be actors, sometimes, um, you know, not always the doctor roles. Though um, Ken Baker was, was one of them. I was just going to say Ken was at one of them. That Tom Baker himself was was there in the studio, uh, but often it's more often it's a companion or. A, or producer John Nathan Turner was there at right. one time. So, um, well, well, not not to get off track here, stay on target. But yes. <laughs> I'm sorry, I started that whole one. But my first doctor was actually Peter Davison because when they introduced Doctor Who, they showed the five doctors, and I mm-hmm. thought it was like the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And then I just completely forgot about it. And about a couple of weeks later, they had already started Tom Baker, and the first episode I ever saw was Terror of the Zygons, and I was hooked from the from the moment it started, and then. Um, after that, it was just downhill. Now, the cool thing that I remember most, and I think I said this before in a review, was they had that. Did you guys ever see the traveling Doctor Who exhibit? Where yes. They just like semi, yeah. and you went in it. Mm-hmm. Well, they had it came. It came to Emory University in Atlanta, and they had um, John Nathan Turner and John Pertwee as guests. And of course, they set this big stage up outside with Bessie sitting there. And um, Sylvester McCoy, now the thing about Sylvester McCoy was he had been hired to play the doctor two days earlier. So he hadn't even gotten the, in, into the part yet. And I remember them doing a Q&A with him in, in one of the Emory buildings. And, you know, people were asking him, you know, how he saw himself playing the doctor. And he's like, I'm not sure. And they're like, was there anything um, costume-wise you want? And he had his hat on that he had on the show. And he just rolled it down his arm and flipped it on his head. And he said, I don't know. We'll think of something. Everybody just started cheering. And then when, when they finally showed the first episode, he had the hat on. And I thought that was kind of neat. Well, that that um, introduction to Sylvester McCoy was uh, videotaped and sent up to PBS stations around the country. And I remember being at WLIW and having one of the guys grab that off the satellite dish and record it <laughs> for me and, and hand it over to me and said, you know, check this out. You'll you'll get a kick out of this. Uh, and that was the recording of Pertwee and, and J&T and, and uh, McCoy's introduction. And, uh, 
Yeah, they're like on a stage outside, and Pertwee, mm-hmm. of course, had his costume on. <laughs> he went everywhere as the doctor, really. And I just thought it, it was kind of neat meeting people like that. And I was kind of young at the time, and um, it it was just. And I remember when Silver Nemesis came out, um, the 25th anniversary episode. All the like background videos or or documentaries were shot by a PBS station in um, New Jersey, I believe. And um, so all the documentaries for that weren't even done by the BBC. They were done by a New Jersey PBS station. And that should tell you the power of PBS and and one of the reasons why they probably were able to keep Doctor Who after Tom Baker was because there were American fans that were just sucking it down as it would come out. And we were very open to the new actors, not just Tom Baker. And and it's a credit to Tom because of that, because he got his hooks on it. And, and someone in the forum or in the little talk show chat thing said earlier that it, it, if it weren't for Tom Baker, we probably wouldn't be sitting here talking about Doctor Who right now. Absolutely, mm-hmm. he was the he was the launching pad into the United States. It had been dabbled a bit in North America with um, in Canada with Hartnell and, and a little bit on PBS in the seventies. With uh, John Pertwee in certain markets, but it was really Tom Baker, who who uh, he was he was our Doctor Who British invasion, was the Tom Baker era, and to this day BBC America really only uh, besides the new show, if you get any classic episodes, it's usually the first half of of Tom Baker's run. Right, and and just to go on another tangent, like I do on CIA, and don't slap me around for this, but <laughs> I did see that. Even though the Sci-Fi Channel barely throws a preview for Doctor Who, doesn't really promote it on its website except for like a day or so before the episode, it still had good ratings. And Torchwood is the highest rated thing in the history of the BBC America Channel. So cool. <laughs> hmm. uh, Lewis, did, uh, earlier in the podcast, did you mention how um, it, what uh, if Tom, I know I know because I. I've known you forever that Tom Baker was your first doctor, but did you mention that uh, your first experience in, in catching Doctor Who it, in the States? I, I, I believe in a roundabout way. Uh, it was during the it was during the late seventies that um, Tom Baker, the first four series of Tom Baker, was being shown syndicated on um, on commercial syndicated channels in the U.S. And I had mentioned that um, that yeah that that's how I discovered. Doctor Who was, um, I believe it might have been the, the Seeds of Doom that was my first introduction there, uh, to ta- to Doctor Who, really, and I was watching it, and then um, later on, a few more years, that's when it went into PBS, but at that time, Howard DeSilver, I believe, was doing the narration for the sure. intros and, and outros and recapping each episode, and uh, when it went to PBS, they sliced that off, you know, they, they, they we got to see the Tom Baker Doctor Who episodes as they were originally meant, you know, in and as they were shown in the in the B, you know, on the BBC for the most part. Yeah, so Howard DeSilver definitely changed, uh, and not him personally because he, you know, he was a voiceover actor, but but the the Howard DeSilver package uh, to syndicated television uh, changed, altered the the flavor of Doctor Who in order to add commercials and and you know, having this this recapping and this narration. Uh, kind of what BBC America did, where they took two parts and combined them to make an hour show and to fit an hour time slot. It it drastically changes the complexion of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I'm happy to have him, you know, uh, as far as when BBC America does show Tom Baker, I'd rather see altered versions than no versions at all. Yeah, I would agree absolutely. with that. Well, we have um, another person who had called in, one of our regulars on our forums, uh, Merlin, and uh, it's, um, Merlin, who was, or, a.k.a. Mike, right? Hello? Yes, Lewis. Good to How have you, you back on the show. It's good to be back, Lewis. Things are relatively quiet. If you can hear me, can you hear me? Yes, we hear you good. We can hear you okay, great. Good. I never can tell if the SIP connection is going to die or not. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, my first exposure to Doctor Who, like like a lot of Americans, might have been one of the Cushing movies um, mm -hmm. that I watched prior to BBC's uh, cooperation with PBS. And thank God they brought it on. I, it's strange to me that possibly one of the most British eccentrics brought Doctor Who to America first. Mm -hmm. Because you've got to look at uh, at Tom, and not your typical uh, Brit in so many ways. You've got your your uh, former monk in training. Going to construction work. Yeah, that's right. Doing it, it's it's very unique, um, but thank God for it because BBC might not have gotten to the point where they are in reproducing it if America had not shown the interest it had. And uh, I, I'm just grateful that uh, between everything, all the myriad ways that we got to where we are, that we're uh, um, thank you. Well, it's a very good point there because I really think you, I, I think you're right. I think you're correct. I think um, it was um, Tom Baker's, uh, even, even though unbeknownst he he was doing the series at the time for for, for you know the, for for the British audiences uh, for the BBC, but it was his stewardship as the Doctor that really brought it to America. And if if it was, I mean, I think if. Perhaps um, it would not have caught on as it did in the U.S. if they started with, let's say, John Pertwee's or or or, or Patrick Troughton episodes. But it was um, th those um, first four series of Tom Baker's that really infiltrated the U.S. and um, and and really slowly, even though it wasn't an overnight success in the U.S., but it really um, it it was so much so that uh, enough people started having an interest in this unique character this this scarf and laded you know in curly head and teeth character that it and and also another point i think we we failed to uh mention here and maybe because um we haven't had many female voices on the show today is that um i think tom baker it, we got a lot of female fans in the series because of Tom Baker, there's something that Tom Baker had in the series, some warmth and charm that really um, hit home with a lot of the female audiences. And um, and you saw that at conventions, at Doctor Who conventions during that time, where many science fiction conventions, it was mostly populated by um, mostly males. Here, you had a lot of um, uh, females coming to these conventions. And, and I think it's because of Tom Baker's um, charm and and um, and the characteristics that Tom Baker brought to the series, um, 
gathered a broader net and and brought in more people, including uh, a lot of female audiences as well. But you're right, we may not be here talking, um, you know, in the U.S. about Doctor Who if it wasn't for Tom Baker in the role as the Doctor that really captured the U.S.'s um, imagination and attention. Absolutely. Even though uh, for for me, I think Pertwee would have worked. It might not have worked in the same numbers as... Mm -hmm. And I, I don't even like the word bohemian applied to Tom, but it, it seems to, to function. Uh, the, the mistake with the scarf uh, it is like the, uh, the new Coke. <laughs> you know, it, it couldn't be more practical in marketing that this uh, just happened. Uh, so that, that it, it just functioned, and there we go. America, here's Tom. We love you. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as well, Americans, we 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 like to to uh, we like to to have these little things, these little quirks that we can lock in on, and, and the scarf seemed to be Doctor Who. You know, um, it's something that uh, each Doctor has their own little thing, but the scarf is instantly recognizable. And we we like in, in the states, in particular, to have. Um, brand icons but mm -hmm. it's interesting that you, you also pointed out that we can the most unusual actor in tom baker to to introduce us to doctor who here in the states it seems that everything british is represented by something that's probably not um what you would say is typically british you know we have a woman well, american indeed the, of, of britain they think of monty python or they think of james bond or they think of doctor who uh and and, and his Probably nothing further than from reality than, than some of those characters. Yeah, well, um, as you mentioned, Monty Python, I, I recall uh, Doss Skeptical in the previous show had mentioned that it was uh, due to Tom Baker and uh, Elizabeth Sladen that he became a Doctor Who fan because he was very much um, into British comedies. And, um, and Tom Baker probably is like the closest to being in the Monty Python troupe of actors. Um, you know, out of all of them up until that point, uh, and 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 that's evident in in that role that he did, and uh, you know that he and later on Douglas Adams' involvement. Adams is is right out of the Monty Python camp, so um, there there is uh, an extension, um, but but it was, it was part of a culture of what was going on at the time um, in in what how they were creating television in the UK. So many American sitcoms, you know, based on on uh, shows coming out of Britain. And we still do it to this day with Big Brother and, and, and shows like that, American Idol, you know, with Pop Idol and, and on and on. But, but in particular, the 70s, we had a huge flux of, well, what we do is we just, you know, took the, the British ideas, put American situations in it, and away we went. Why bother importing when we could just do a knockoff of our own? Mm. Um, but but it's also proof that why American television is terrible is because we can't think of anything on our own and hope it succeeds. We have to go with something that, well, did this work someplace else? Yes, it, it's a big hit in Britain. Okay, we'll, t we'll, we'll try that one because that might work. You know, um, uh, that's more examples of non-creative people making creative decisions. But can go on about that forever. Mm -hmm. That's a whole different podcast, and I think we <laughs> talked about that in CIA about how 
network television sucks. All right, I'll move on. So, so, so the query to that comes to, should we thank uh, Steptoe and Son for bringing Doctor Who to the U.S.? <laughs> hmm. I'll be silent at this point. Night all. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Mike Merlin, on our forums. Uh, check them out, as always, um, at um, thegallifrandembassy.org or pachock.net and go to our forums. Merlin always has uh, interesting posts and lots of comments to make, and we are always much appreciated for your input, as always. We're going to uh, wrap things up. Um, I also, before I forget, I do want to make a programming note. We've been doing these live shows every other week. And two weeks from now would normally be our Peter Davison um, focused show. But two weeks from now, Ken and myself will be with Wendy Padbury and we'll be doing an interview with her for Doctor Who Podshock. She is appearing at United Fan Con in Springfield, Massachusetts. Uh, we do have links to their website on our site. So check them out if it's November 3rd and 4th, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Actually, it's um, November Friday, Friday. Um, second, third, and fourth. It's Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I, I sit corrected. <laughs> and uh, Wendy Padbury is not the only guest. Uh, Henry Winkler, who uh, goes as you know, he was the Fonz. he was the fourth and a half doctor as the Fonz doctor. <laughs> so the Fonz doctor. Hey, that was he wanted Jelly Baby, as well as guests from ba the new Battlestar Galactica, and uh, uh, well, you can see the full rundown of guests um, at the United FanCon. Billy Mummy. What's that? Billy Mummy of Lost in Space fame and Twilight and Zone. Babylon 5 as Babylon well. Babylon 5. Mm -hmm. So there's a full uh, full range of guests, but uh, always uh, I l always like to thank United FanCon for being uh, a convention that annually delivers a Doctor Who guest on the East Coast. Uh, I think that's great. They go out of their way every year, no matter what, uh, to put a Doctor Who guest uh, on their on their guest list for the convention, and this year is no exception, and a, a guest that I'm ecstatic. I've never met her, and um, I'm so psyched up that Lewis and I are making a road trip. We're doing Podshock on the road that weekend, and, and that should be great fun. But we're, we're back with the like David Bob Hope and Bing Cosby. Crosby. Uh, yeah, or, or, or probably more like Martin and Lewis. <laughs> um... um we're back with the next podcast in, we're, as if we were skipping. We're back in four weeks, Lewis. Well, well with um, the live, we'll, yeah, with the live show, we'll be back uh, to do the Peter Davison wrap up or Peter Davison era rather, um, two weeks after that, which is November eighteenth, uh, which also I believe might be the Children in Need, the date of the Children in Need uh, special. Friday as well. the sixteenth is the Children in Need. Oh, okay. Which. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert, um, it features none other than Peter Davison, so it times out perfect. Yes. So um, so once again, in two weeks, there, we're preempting the, the live show, because as we just mentioned, we'll be uh, in Massachusetts with Wendy Padbury along with others, and you're welcome to join us there. Uh, we won't be doing a live show there, uh, at least, you know, it doesn't, for, doesn't seem to be the case, so... Uh, but you're still welcome to, um, if you see us, um, say hi to us, and um, of course go there to to, um, to see Wendy Padbury and the other guests that are there. 
Uh, and, we would, um, first off, Lewis and I would love to say hello to every, anybody who's there who's a Pod, Podshock listener. Um, and you could probably, it, it's a dead giveaway who we all will be wearing Podshock shirts. <laughs> well, there may be others there wearing Podshock shirts, we hope. Okay, but, that's true. <laughs> we'll be the goofy I was going to say, ones. we'll look for two geeks wearing Podshock shirts. <laughs> oh, no, 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 never mind. Okay, um, we'll be wearing a big red hat. <laughs> I don't know. What can we do? I have to wear some. Remember those old hats as a kid? They used to have the red spinning light on the top. Yes. <laughs> a very very 70s thing where you'd have like a fire engine light on the top of a of a hat. You have to bring that. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> oh boy. <laughs> Myself into trouble. And <laughs> just anyway, anyone you see wearing a Doctor Who Podshock shirt, just um, introduce yourself to them. <laughs> Yeah, you may make new fun. friends. Who knows? You make new friends. That's <laughs> so that's great stuff. Two weeks from now, I don't know when this pot, the, the recorded version of this podcast will get out, but um, the first weekend of November two thousand seven for United FanCon and uh, and cool stuff. And then when we return in four weeks on the eighteenth, Lewis said Sunday the eighteenth for, for the live show. November, yes, mm-hmm. um, we will have seen hopefully if it trickles down our way. The Children in Need special. We'll be taking that red-eye flight to the U.K. to watch it, sure. To watch 15 minutes worth of stuff. And then, <laughs> and then back to the U.S. Yeah. to talk about it. <laughs> anyway, thanks, everybody, for participating, joining, listening, uh, mm-hmm. and making uh, Doctor Who Podshock um, listener-involved, the audience participation we- type of show. That's uh, always great stuff. We appreciate everyone's contributions. We also want to invite all listeners to uh, join West on the CIA um, podcast. West, why don't you tell everyone how they can join you on the CIA podcast, which is um, following ours? Well, you can look us up on TalkShoe because we should be in the on now queue by now. Um, if you give me a second. I came unprepared with our talk show number, and it's been so long since I've been there. Always be prepared, Wes, to give a shameless plug. <laughs> I know, I know, but see, I'm I'm not trying to be shameless. <laughs> um, not sure what our number. Anybody know our number? Dave, do you know our number? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, today's discussion. I don't really have a topic like usual. It's kind of an open forum, and and as as Ken and Lewis will tell you. It can go anywhere and sometimes really interesting places. 30659, if you punch in 30659, if you recall, um, if you redial in, you'll get us. Today I'm starting off with um, theories about theories for the middle part and series five, because I have a pretty good theory about that, I think. So um, that may not make any sense, but we're going to talk about what the BBC has said is coming up. Uh, as far as the break and David Tennant doing Royal Shakespeare and supposed three mini-movies that are coming out. Um, and we'll, we'll maybe discuss Sarah Jane, because um, it needs it bears discussion, I think. And maybe the future of Torchwood. I don't know. We'll see where it goes. But, you know, somehow or another we end up in real estate, usually. <laughs> <laughs> and we also want to, um, to say to, to the various uh, Doctor Who um, podcast listeners, every single Doctor Who podcast needs your support and love. Uh, we support all of them. Tin Dog mm-hmm. Podcast, CIA, The Who Cast, everybody who's out there. We're one Doctor Who community 
uh, one Doctor Who podcasting community. And, uh, and Lewis, you know, last show we forgot to mention about this Doctor Who channel. Oh, yeah, so the, the radio channel, the, well, the internet radio channel. Which, well, <laughs> which I, uh, put, I, I don't... put Paul Lewis on the spot. Yeah, let's see. Um... What was that about being prepared? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I know. I catch everybody off guard by doing stuff like that. Hence the one that's always prepared. It's um, um you can you can find it at live three sixty five dot com slash station slash who radio one word, and uh, um it's a Doctor Who um internet radio station, and you'll find Doctor Who Podshock being played, uh, past episodes being played on this internet. Uh, radio station, as well as, well as, as a plethora of Doctor Who, as programs. yeah, as well as I uh, believe Doctor Who Online's um, uh, that the um, the Who cast is also being shown on it as well. So, well, not shown. It's not a visual thing. Yeah. It's it's audio. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, played on it as well. So check it out. Uh, hey, can I throw in a, a shameless plug for another podcast that I'm hooked on recently? Um, sure. And it's probably one that we've talked about before, and it's my absolute favorite one next to Podshock is um, MMM Commentaries. Oh, yeah. Those guys do mm-hmm. oh, some yeah. of the best podcasts I've ever heard in my life. Well, we've next been promoting MMM Commentaries for a while. Uh, during the live shows, we don't really run promos, but during our studio shows, we do. We do have a promo for the radio station as well, and we'll play that. Um, either I'll insert that in post-production, or we'll play that during our studio shows as well. So... Um, any other final comments about Tom Baker as um, the fourth doctor and his era? I think yes, we... come I to the United States, Tom. We want to meet you again. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm salivating and waiting over the Tom Baker action figure that Character Oxens has coming out in the spring. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well, Maybe we'll um, get a proper one. I, I, again, Tom Baker led the right way um, with a lot of the, the, the toys and whatnot with, you know, the, the first, like, um, eight-inch figure was Tom Baker, and um, a lot of the um, a lot of the Doctor Who merchandising all centered around the Fourth Doctor and Tom Baker's, you know, portrayal as the Doctor. All right. Well, that right. about does it for another swinging, sexy edition of Doctor Who Podshock. <laughs> uh, if anybody has spotted James Norton, please uh, telephone us right away. He he, he did chime in uh, before the show. He, I, I was telling everyone before we started recording that, that he did send his apologies. He's busy with his PhD and he'll, um, he will be joining us in future shows. He just um, is unable to join us in today's recording. So, but he does um, send his regards as does Joe, also known as Omega in our forums. He, uh, unfortunately, could not be with us today, but he did, uh, you know, call in and, and wanted to express his um, regards to everyone. So uh, next time, hopefully all of them will be back. And as long as um, some of the others that have been missing in action, such as Taras and Doth Skeptical and um, Mike, uh, our can- uh, Canada- Canadian correspondent. So um, hopefully they'll be returning soon. All right, we'll see everybody then for the next live podcast on Sunday, November 18th. Yes, and keep subscribed to our feeds. We got more past episodes that are slowly making their way out to the feeds, so um, there'll be more material for you. So keep on, um, well, keep on subscribing. <laughs> All right. So, All right, everybody. Take care. Take Cheers, you. everyone.
have been listening to Doctor Who Podshock live by the fan run GallifreyandEmbassy.org and presented by Outpost Gallifrey at Gallifrey1.com. Doctor Who is owned and trademarked by the BBC. Doctor Who Podshock is not affiliated with the BBC in any way. Come back next week for another informative and exciting episode of Doctor Who Podshock. You can email us at feedback at podshock.net. Listen, there are no measurements in infinity. You humans have got such limited little minds. I don't know why I like you so much. Because you have such good taste. That's true. That's very true.